Welcome to Year Full of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. Good evening, everyone, or good morning, depending on where you are or when you're listening to this, if you are listening in podcast form. Welcome to the Year Full of Dirt podcast. I am Joshua Fredland. You can find me at Josh Fred, as Aaron Castro likes to say in Leet Speak. Um, if you are not, if you are not already aware, Aaron Castro is no longer with us. As Craig likes to say, we have filed for divorce. Um, he's alive. I just want to put <laughs> make that clear. He is he's alive and well, no longer with us. Okay. When was the last time you talked to him? Are you sure of that? <laughs> it could very well be a robot, dude. I mean, it's, or a bot, so, something like that. And I and I have taken over hosting duties. With me tonight are Liam Poach. You can find him at Poacher Rugby, and Craig Gurdelli. You can find him at Money Morning Fly Half on Twitter. MM Fly Half. Um, how are you guys tonight? I'm doing just fantastic. Uh, I'm adjusting to the LA heat right now. My brain has only just started to allow me to wear shorts and t-shirts uh, in February. You know, having grown up in Boston, living the last year in Tahoe, that wasn't a thing. Um, but yeah, I'm breaking through that wall right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, kids uh, kids were a little sick at the beginning of the week, but uh, we're getting through that now. It's very sad when a two-year-old starts throwing up and they don't understand what's happening to them. Uh, so we had a sad night with the, uh, with the oldest kid. But uh, everyone's on the men now, so things are looking up at just in time for a Thursday MLR game tomorrow. Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me, Craig. That actually almost slipped my mind. If you are not aware, we'll mention this early, the Seattle Seawolves and Utah Warriors are playing tomorrow night, Thursday, February 10th at 8.30 Mountain Time, 10.30 Eastern. So late night for everyone. It will be on the Rugby Network, or if you are local to the Seattle, Utah areas, Seattle, it will be on Root Sports. Utah, it will be on KMYU and KSLSports.com. But why don't we ask that to you guys real quick? We have I know it's Super Bowl week, so it's probably why these games are happening. What do you guys think of the, of the, or the weeknight rugby? I mean, because we also have a game on Friday night. I mean, I love it. I, I'm, I know some players might not. Uh, love it, just considering the quick turnaround from Saturday to Thursday. Uh, but I, I'm a huge fan of Thursday night football. It gives you something to kind of look forward to before that weekend. Just gets you over that, you know, Friday workday hump. Uh, I'm all for it. I'm all for it as long as the players are able to remain healthy and you know spry. Yeah, I was gonna say the same exact thing. I love Thursday night football. I mean, 10.30 Eastern is a pretty late start time. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind it being a tad earlier, but uh, <laughs> I, I like the idea. Uh, and, yeah, of course, it's a bummer for the players, but then they get a long turnaround the next week, so, you know, it all evens out. Yeah, that, that is always a good thing, you know. Um, you get that long turnaround coming off the short week. It's kind of, It kind of evens itself out. Um, well, maybe another quick question for you guys. I know a lot of people were complaining about the broadcasts. What did you guys think? I know it's, I know we don't have the MLR dude. There's a problem with every single broadcast, whether it's the time clock, whether it's the camera people not knowing how the 
sport of rugby actually progresses. It's lighting, it's audio, it's it, it, it's 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 always something. And I mean, what was this week a little bit more annoying? Yeah, sure, especially with the Utah game. Uh, but I'm I, I'm just kind of over complaining about it at this point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I'm going to say this a lot today. I think. Um, but MLR basically has no preseason and week one ends up being a very slippery, untidy affair, let's say. Uh, and that isn't just a plot of the players. That is the TV crews, uh, you know, everything. I, I had a, uh, a factual misstatement in my column this week. Somebody pointed out on Twitter. So, uh, you know, everyone's, uh, you know, rounding into form here through week one. Hopefully, Broadcast issues are minimized as we get into, uh, you know, into mid-season form. So let's just jump right into the results. Um, first game of the week, uh, we had Rugby ATL playing in their new home in Silverback at Silverbacks Park. They defeated Old Glory DC 55-22. to uh, The game was a close one um, up until half. Then the second half, Rugby ATL just ran away with it. Um, Oh, pardon my name. I can actually look it up uh, real quick. I believe his name was uh, Joaquin De La Vega Mendia. Um, yes, that is correct. Joaquin De La Vega Mendia, the Argentinian import, had an absolutely phenomenal first game. He had 23 points. He had a try, and he was perfect from the tee going six for six. Six for six on conversions and two penalty kicks. What did you guys think of that game? So, um, so, Honestly, for, for the opening bell of 22, I thought it was definitely worth the wait. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and Rugby ATL probably agrees with me. Uh, especially after falling short in the MLR final last season. You know, 33-point win over Eastern Rivals. Definitely has to feel pretty good to open up a season and, you know, think, all right, we're actually going to be, you know, get hopping back on the train. Um, you know, as, as Josh kind of alluded to, this game felt a lot closer because the first half was a whole lot closer than the second half. Um, but, but at which point... I think it was two, three, four, five tries in the second half um, that, you know, DC just, or sorry, Rugby ATL just absolutely started to run over them. It was uh, Basson, Torres, uh, Widokia got a pair, uh, Ben Skalwick, uh, you know, it was uh, it, it was a scoring bonanza in, in, in the second half. And I, I think that would, you know, a, a good competitive first half for week one is something worth seeing, but then a total tri-fest blowout. You know, it's exciting for fans watching on TV who want to see some scoring, who want to see some, you know, a team really kind of dominate. So I thought it was, I, I enjoyed it for a uh, for a week one bell opener. Yeah, I think it was gonna. It was certainly a big storyline coming to the season was how rugby ATL would respond to the loss of their coach, uh, beloved Scott Lawrence. Uh, didn't seem the worst for wear though, did they? Uh, at least not in the second half. I mean, they actually seemed. More, I can't imagine that two weeks or however long exactly it was since the coach was changed has made this much of an impact. But man, they looked a lot more attack minded than the Scott Lawrence rugby ATL uh, did these last couple of years. So, whether that's coaching change or just player development or a little bit of attitude, you know, given the the disruption and the players came with some extra motivation. I don't know. I also think, and this, I think pops up a lot this week as well, but it kind of goes in with that week one jitters thing is I'm not sure that without a preseason 
or really like meaningful match play scenarios up to this first game. That teams are really at at what you'd expect to be a normal match fitness level. And I feel like you saw a lot of second halves where play got really, really loose and weird. Uh, and I think this game certainly fits into that category. Uh, Old Glory, I mean, ATL was playing more aggressively, I would say, in the second half. Old Glory just uh, didn't seem to have the defense, the fitness to, to maintain a defensive shape like they had in the first half. So I think I don't take as much away from this lopsided win as I would if this game had happened maybe three weeks later into the season. I think ATL, great effort. Old Glory, you know, it's an 80 minute contest, got to stick in there in the second half. But I, I, even if I'm Old Glory, I'm just shaking this off and saying, all right, this game was not our, our peak form and we're, we're going to, we're going to make future games all 80 minutes. We're going to look more like that first half. Uh, so, you know, it'll be a lot more competitive. So fair to say, you know, ATL is that same Eastern Conference champion level. Old Glory too early to tell. I'm not gonna say about ATL either because I think first of all I'm not saying anything. Well, we'll get to discussions about that stuff uh, for week one, but I think again there was really one, two halves told two completely different stories in this particular game, and so I don't personally feel confident drawing any conclusions from it quite yet. Yeah, and you know, Craig, you you did kind of touch on this. Is was how much of this blowout was a result of scheme versus how much of it was a result of Old Glory, you know, just faltering on defense in the second half, you know, due to a lack of fitness or due to a lack of ability to adjust. You know, I, I think it might be it might be a little a little bit too early to anoint you know ATL the de facto conference champions at at this point because it truly might have just been a matter, especially in week one of fitness, of training, of taking advantage of an opponent who was a little less prepared in that regard. Uh, so, you know, time you time's got, only going to tell. You guys have all played. I mean, you, you get in games where you start losing by a lot and morale starts to sink and, you know, the, the expression putting them to the sword, I, I think it has a real physical manifestation. You, know, you, you go down two or three tries, their team's moving the ball, and it starts to escalate, you know. It's, you, their morale's going up, your morale's going down. And next thing you know, there wasn't that much difference in your ability, but you've lost by thirty. Uh, and I, I, this game had that feel, you know, like they were just they were just running it up at them at the end. Man, you just described my college team. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, for the second game of the weekend, we had Austin playing at home at Bold Stadium against the Dallas Jackals in their first ever regular season matchup. The first try for Dallas belongs to Campbell Johnstone. That will be a trivia question in the next five years, somewhere in some bar. Um, you know, unfortunately, they didn't have a lot else. I mean, they had two yellow cards in the first half from um, Conrado Hora, excuse me if I pronounced that wrong, and Bronson Tellis also got one in the 38th minute. Um, Julian Dominguez moved over from NOLA, got his first try for Austin in the 16th minute. And then it was all forwards from there. I mean, you had Robbie Coetzee getting two tries in the 24th and 39th minute. Jake Turnbull, Kyle Breitenbach also got over. And then there was a penalty try. I mean, I don't know how much we can take away from this game, similar to Austin and Dallas, or excuse me, similar to ATL and Old Glory. But I, what are you guys' thoughts on what happened here? So I the, the final scoreline wouldn't have been surprising if you had told me it you know, the day or two before the match, because everybody was, you know, especially on Super Brew, you know, D- Dallas was going down to this one. 
But the first few minutes of this game, I thought, had people rethinking some of their Super Brew picks. You know, Campbell Johnstone has already captured the hearts and hearts of a few fans, as you said, Josh, uh, not just for what I thought was a really impressive debut for the young man, but he is not only the first ever try scorer in Dallas Jackals history, he is the leading point scorer in, in franchise history right now. So, um, but Dallas, I thought they looked pretty good on their opening drive. You could see, you know, a high degree of intensity and urgency at the breakdown, uh, which I think may have caught the AGs a little bit off guard. Uh, but once Pennell uh, went down uh, with a leg injury in the first half, you could feel the air kind of come out of that Aust- out of that Dallas squad, and Austin was able to just sort of control the game from there. But I think the Jackals team, they have the ability to – I think they're going to pull off more than one at upset this season, but they just have to work on staying in rhythm, you know, get their fitness a little bit up there just so they can compete for an entire 80 minutes, as opposed to, like, you know, the 15 or 20 that they competed in this last week. Yeah. I mean, I think – I do. I totally was in that same boat. The first ten minutes, I was like, "Dang, these Jackals came to play. Maybe we we're gonna be surprised here." And then we were not surprised. Uh, but I think, well, one, I think Mo Abdulmanam has always been underrated in my view. He, I think he's a great flanker and has always played well in Milan. I think that continued uh, this week. So you talk about the breakdown. I mean, I think Mo Abdulmanam is you know ferocious in breakdown situations, and and he showed that early. If I'm the Jackals, though, I'm worried about the set piece, and really the scrum in particular. I mean, the Austin scrum was just walking the set the Jackals back. It wasn't even like they were collapsing and they were getting awarded penalties. It was it was like a training scenario where they were literally just marching them effortlessly, and the, and the Jackal scrum was on wheels, just going back, uh, and that was happening over and over. Uh, so, I mean, I think. I mean, Austin may end up having a very good scrum. Time will tell. They're not a team that jumps out to you like, oh, these are good. They're not a Houston where you say this is a huge pack. I think they're going to dominate people in the scrum. Uh, so that worries me as a Jackal fan because I don't think they're going to win many games if they, you know, if they're that overmatched in, in scrum time. Uh, so that, that, if I'm a Jackal, that's what I'm looking for is can we, you know, work on the scrum this week and uh, do a little better next week because, you know, a few Jackals here. A nice, you know, rubber kick and Campbell Johnstone's very nice and try aside. There's a lot of scrums in a game, and if you're getting beat up every time, you're it's gonna be really tough to overcome that. Fair enough. I, th- I, I think once again, you can't really take much away from this game, at least for Austin. I think you could probably take some things away for Dallas. You know, there's there's a little bit of issues that need to be. Or excuse me, there's a lot of issues that need to be worked on. Um, probably the coach. Coach being there having a big effect. No coach, in effect, uh, has a big effect. Um, but moving on to the one of the games on Sunday, probably the best game of the week. Um, I know some people will have complaints about the broadcast being not good, um, satellite losing connection every once in a while. Um, so we've it was mostly in, the first half was relatively quiet. Um, I think. Halftime was five to three, and then you know what game is this again, Josh? San Diego, Utah. I apologize. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that was the clue. Once you get the halftime score, you can guess what game he was talking about. That it was it was that bad. It slipped my mind. But you know the second the second half was so much better. Like a lot of games this weekend, Um, final score ended up being San Diego thirty one, Utah twenty nine. You know it was it was relatively entertaining, if not. I know some people might disagree with me with how 
um, the, how it was refed, you know, wasn't a lot, wasn't a lot of back and forth. It was kind of stop and go at, at times. Um, but you know, it was, it was a relatively good game overall. I know John Cullen last week, uh, mentioned Caleb McKinney, McKean, Mc, I, do we still know, do we know how to say his name yet? I apologize. Don't ask me yeah. name pronunciations. I, I'm the worst with name pronunciations, pronunciations dude. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure that out eventually, but you know, he, he was as good as advertised. Um, you know, he had a try at the 78th minute. He was an excellent backline cover, made some great plays. Um, obviously, you have to mention Ma Nani was back. Um, he only played 20 minutes, but he did have an impact. You know, he brought he broke through tackles. He opened up the play, got San Diego down the line. In the end, it wasn't enough, even with Utah scoring a last-minute try and converting, as they ended up losing by two. But they did get the both losing bonus points for the four tries and the losing by less than seven. What did you guys think of this game? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, this is the game I got to see the least amount of just due to work and other stuff. Um, but I did get to see a decent amount of the second half. Um, but I, what I will say is that Utah fans out there should be glad, first and foremost, for getting that bonus point, uh, you know, thanks to that game-ending try. Because uh, that – already puts them above LA in terms of the Western conference standings. And despite their loss to Houston, I don't think LA is going to be out of the playoff race at all, you know, come mid end of the season. So depending on the season shakes out, especially with the teenies, you know, upset in Houston, it could easily come down to as little as one table point. Uh, you know, when you look at the stats, these teams were just about even on possession, less than eight penalties per side. But the two figures that jumped out at me were the missed tackles and the handling errors uh, you know, which stood at 16 and 9, um, pers- respectively, for Utah. So a lot's been made about this San Diego squad, you know, falling from grace after being one of the most successful teams in the league's first three seasons. Uh, but still, when you have guys like, you know, JP, Lutz, David Tamerlau on the opposition, those small mistakes, handling errors, missed tackles, they're going to come back to bite you in the ass. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not at all surprised at the final result. I think it seems a little closer than, you know, the game actually was. Uh, but I don't think Utah um, should be discouraged by the, by this result whatsoever. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, two bonus points. My my preseason pick for Shield still on their quest uh, in Utah. I think, uh, again, I think the tale of two has, I think this, in this case, definitely both sides, to me, seem to really fatigue in the second half. This play got much sloppier overall. It, it got fairly undisciplined in almost every way, like the transitions. It was just kind of like people running all over the place. Um, I think I think Nate Oxenberger won this game for San Diego. I really do. I think he was the only scrum half I recall this week, whereas I feel like last season scrum halves were really picking up the pace, making the attack work all over MLR. This week was really only Nate, I think, that I, that I really felt that from. And one thing I I found he was doing that was very effective was he was taking the you know the classic forward pass from the ruck, but the forwards were attacking. The first pass was you know a good ten meters from the ruck, and there were four Utah defenders between where he was at the ruck and that first forward that was getting the pass. So okay, they they make that tackle, but now they either have to rotate four guys for the next phase, or there's going to be a mismatch. Why? And that's what. They kept doing, like, all game. San Diego was doing a really wide first phase. The the tackle was being made for the most part, but it was cutting off half the Utah defense, and then Utah was getting beat wide. So hopefully they're going to, you know, Utah, they're going to 
I suspect we'll go back and see that on a tape and probably adjust to that. But it had a very kind of NOLA season two feel to me where San Diego was getting it wide so quickly and Utah defense just wasn't able to shift back and forth uh, with that sort of width. Um, but then, it, you know, again, the second half it kind of totally broke down and then really everything, but by the end there, anything was gone. People were just bouncing balls, changing directions. It was, it was getting a little out of hand at the end, but I, I agree. It actually was closer than it. The final score flatters Utah, I think, a bit. Um, it really wasn't as close as all that. Uh, so, you know, we'll see if we'll, we'll see if that strategy works for San Diego, you know, for the rest of the season. Or yeah, teams adjusted to Nola even in, in season two, and they kind of, I think, champion that approach. Um, so we'll see if you know if teams make that similar adjustment if, if San Diego decides to continue pursuing that strategy. Let's see if that works out for him, Cotton. <laughs> All right, moving on to the to I guess one of the more surprising results of the weekend. Uh, we had uh, Houston beating LA twenty-one to eleven. Um, obviously, we everyone has figured out the strategy now. Just bringing a bunch of South Africans, and you can beat the defending champs. Um, as, uh, let's see. Well, I guess one of the more surprising um, roster additions for Houston that wasn't announced is actually Malon Algebori announced on the bench and just wasn't I guess no one figured it out because he was as far as we knew he was still in the championship um who was he with again I apologize if kind of want to say uh, Elon no pop quizzes Josh stop asking <laughs> questions all right another second half game um halftime LA was up eight to three which given the results of the first half was kind of surprising they had two yellow cards within four minutes of each other. Um, Ryan James had one in the 25th minute. Sean McNulty had one in the 28th minute. And they came away without conceding a point, surprisingly. Um, LA's lone try of the day came in the first 10 minutes from Hanko Hermeshice. And then in the second half, it was basically all Houston. Um, we had three tries, one from Jerry Lobachongna, Um I obviously messed that up. Uh, Dean Muir and then Willie Britz as well. Um, it was a surprising result given how Houston performed last year and LA's defending champs. I know they were missing a number of players. I believe Luke Cardi is actually out for a number of months with a torn pectoral muscle. Um, Matt Gitto was announced as um, returning. However, he was on the injury list with a calf injury. And, well, we see what happens when a former player of the year is not playing in MLR. What what'd you guys think of the game? Um, uh, holy shit <laughs> was, was, was my initial thought. Uh, Cause can you say upset? So, uh, I mean, I thought, you know, coach human and his uh, new South African imports, they came through to get the job done. Uh, LA led this game um, at actually, uh, they led the game at the half by a few points, which made you go, you know, oh, nice. Houston might actually keep this competitive. Instead, they held the defending champs to a total of three points in the second half, controlling 63% of, uh, you know, total possession throughout the game. Uh, one thing that looked different to me about this Sabercat squad was organization and the ability for them to reform and attack on transitions, which was an aspect of LA's game that I thought last year was what put them a step ahead of everybody else. Uh, you know, I thought this led to a more fluid attack for the Cats that resulted in the team putting up uh, their first three-try game. I think I had it. It was like their first three-try game in like eight weeks or something like that, going back to last season. 
Um, you know, so kind of like, like what Josh said, when you're down, you know, the MLR player of the year, along with Adam Ashley Cooper being on the sidelines, you know, uh, suddenly LA kind of seemed very average in terms of, you know, what you expect to see in MLR. I thought guys like, you know, uh, you know, Cottrell and Honko, they were obviously really effective where they had to be. Johnny Ryberg is always a force to be reckoned with on the outside. Uh, but we didn't really see that dominant cohesion that we did last year with L.A., you know, when this team was running over was running over everybody by 40 points or more. Um, so, you know, obviously big ups, to, big ups to Houston. They weren't, you know, popping off, you know, champagne rugby, but they played a complete game for 80 minutes. That was, you know, enough to get the victory and just kind of manage, you know, L.A. like on defense and on offense. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with that, Liam. Uh, I think here's the, you know what I think the most surprising stat of this game is? What? When have you ever seen something like this? Uh, the clean breaks uh, stat for both teams. Houston comes in with one clean break for the game. L.A., two. That's it. Those are only clean breaks, uh, at least according to the MLR stat app. That seems a little. So then there was fighting in the trenches. Yeah, it, it was in the trenches, and it was so. It was so routine. Houston did like the most routine beat up of a, of another side that you can imagine. They didn't do anything really particularly unique. It was mostly you know one pass through the hands, just gain a few meters, hold on to the ball, don't make mistakes. Do what? Yeah, they won penalties in the scrum. I mean, again, you had a, a team that was getting the better of their opponents in the scrum. That was really the only advantage I saw out of Houston. Frankly, I think LA played better defense. They made like a hundred. They made. Let me see right here. One hundred and seventy-one tackles compared to Houston's ninety-three. So I mean, yeah, they, but at the it, same time, when one team's controlling possession over the other, obviously you're going to make a whole bunch of tackles. Well, yeah, but that's what it was. Houston just kept the ball. They didn't try to do anything crazy with it. They just made a few meters every time. L.A., you know, impressively, like Josh said, they were down at 1.2 men. They didn't even concede a point. I mean, they were they were making the tackles. They were doing their job. But, I mean, eventually, you know, they, they, they just couldn't get the ball away from Houston. And Houston kind of leaned on them enough, leaned on them enough until they finally cracked which I think is exciting, but it does leave you wondering if they hadn't, if LA hadn't had three yellow cards, would they ever have cracked? You know, I mean, that's a, an energy draining experience to play two men down and have to defend like that for, you know, 62% possession for the other side. Territory was similar percent. I mean, they were defending in their end nonstop all game. And finally, Houston leaked a few in. Um, so, I mean, a great win for Houston. Very exciting. And I, again, I, I'm cheering for Houston to do well this year. Uh, uh, so I hope this persists, but I'm a, I'm a little concerned about the durability of this win for Houston as they look at the future of the season. All right, let me let me ask this question of both of you. Um, somebody made a, a post on the ML Rugby subreddit about um, Champagne Rugby being overrated as a message to the Giltinis. Champagne. <laughs> Is that something you think? made a difference in this game and that um, unfortunately I wasn't able to watch it. Um, is that something that made a difference in either of your eyes and that LA wasn't able to play that champagne rugby and Houston was playing that down and dirty style and was able to come away with points because they took them when they got them instead of just trying to force things. 
I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, um, I, I thought I think we saw last year that the teams that had success against LA were the teams that were able to slow them down, make them try to attempt to play a more methodical game rather than having guys like Ashley Cooper and Quito just you know passing all over them, scoring you know two or three tries within a span of ten, uh, you know within the span of ten minutes. Um, and honestly, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk about this a little later, but that's an issue I've seen with the New England Free Jacks is if you don't have Bodine Walker, Dougie Fife running for 30, 40 meter tries, you know, it's, a, it's harder, it's harder for them to win games. And I think, you know, that that's a similar issue with LA is that they don't beat up on you. If they don't put the pillow over your face within the first couple of minutes, that means you're going to be in this game for the long haul. Um, Craig, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't even any chance to play champagne rugby for LA because they never had the ball. They had the one nice try, you know, that you mentioned early on that came through a line break. But I mean, other than that, like they didn't do, they didn't even try anything. Uh, I, I was, I was disappointed in Harrison Goddard's performance. I, I felt like he kind of kicked away some lazy, you know, chip kicks. Uh, but really, like, lacked any sort of creativity, or they didn't really seem very ambitious in, in what they tried to do in the little time they had the ball, which was not much. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I didn't see that comment on Reddit, but I would, hearing you describe it, I would take that to mean you didn't even get a chance to play champagne rugby, and so you didn't have anything to do. You know, you, you had no answers then for what Houston was doing, uh, which I think is certainly true if that continues again. You know, without three, I guess the question is, if they're at full strength the whole game, does it still play out that way? Fair enough. All right, next game, New England and NOLA. Liam's favorite topic. Liam, I know you have a lot to say about this, so we're actually going to have Craig go first when we talk about it. But let me me just give a quick recap. Um, You know, kind of a a tale of two halves, kind of not. Um, We had... New England taking a 17 to three lead um, final score ended up being 24 to 13. So there, there was a little bit of a second half play, but there was also, it was, it was both halves instead of just the second half, like pretty much every other game was this weekend. Um, you know, so we had Nick Feeks and Eric Howard scoring for NOLA. We had uh, Bodine Waka, Peter Janssen and um, John Poland scoring for New England. Um, Carl Meyer actually limped off with a leg injury for NOLA. So that actually, I think in my mind made a bigger difference than some people think it might have. Um, he obviously has a, a giant leg he's, as he is a giant of a man. But, you know, Craig, what were your thoughts of what you saw? Um, you know, I, what I actually – so this is a, a situation of coach, you know, double coaching changes. Uh, and I guess the impact of that remains to be seen. But you know what I, I loved about New England uh, – which I, I attribute at least partially to the coaching change. I thought more so than I've seen before, better than anyone else I saw this week, their defensive spacing was kept so good through this game. Like, I thought they, they did a great job. They didn't bunch it all, not even at the tackle. They kept really good lanes. They moved together. They didn't have people running up ahead and breaking the line, leaving spaces for attack. So I loved – New England's defense, it reminded me of Rugby ATL's defense last year, a very like, disciplined effort. Um, but I agree with what Liam suggested earlier, that I, I think where I have concerns about New England is who is creating the attack for them. You know, they do great capitalizing on mistakes, 
They're a big play transition response team. Uh, but aside from a mistake or a turnover, some some real big play, who's really creating them? They have Bodie Waka, who's you know played well. Uh, Dougie Fife, but they, really they, they don't they don't have much team creation of plays. You know, it's kind of like an individual thing, and hopefully they hit a home run. Uh, so that that's where I'm concerned for New England. Nola, you know, they got you know. I didn't love this effort. They, they seem the, the most negatively impacted by their coaching change to me after one week. Uh, you know, they decided they seemed a little directionless to me. Uh, the attack seemed sort of random. It didn't seem like there was someone driving the ship in any sort of sensible way. It just seemed like they were, you know, let's throw it there, throw it here, see what happens. Uh, so but part of that maybe was the New England defensive pressure, but uh, overall I thought, I, was, I came away impressed by New England and a little concerned for Nova. Nice. So, for me, I'm proud to say that I was that guy at the bar who, despite being the only rugby fan around, I insisted that at least one of the TVs be put on FS2 for this game. You know, it might have been, like, the smallest TV they had. Like, this bar had, like, you know, 10, 12 TVs behind the bar, and it was just, like, one little one da- right down there in the corner. But... I got it. So that's a victory. You know what? You know who else had a victory? The Free Jacks. Now, the win total was by double digits and points are points, but I had a few hangups in this game, as I've already mentioned. Uh, the theme of the night, me and Craig, uh, you know, we were talking about is, you know, whether or not some of the recent coaching changes in the league this season appear to be bearing fruit. Uh, do I think one week of play is enough for a complete assessment? No, but the first few pieces of the puzzle are coming together to form the complete image. You know, you see a little bit of that barn up there on the snowy hill, uh, you know, in, in that puzzle right now. For New England with Scott Matthews stepping in, um, what I saw wasn't necessarily progression or regression. What I saw, I felt like more of the same as last year. You know, they had a stalwart red zone defense that shut down, you know, a lot, a lot of those tight window passes, you know, that – you know, that uh, that opened up holes for guys like Cam Dolan just to bully their way through. Um, you know, and they all, as, as uh, Craig said, you know, they had huge, exciting plays from uh, Dougie Five, Bodine Waka, um, but mixed into an offense that really couldn't hold consistency on too many drives by itself. I think guys like, you know, Paul, Paul Bellicana, I think he's going to be a guy to open some of that offensive, um, you know, room up. He's a, you know, he's a really fast guy, but he's also really, really hard to bring down. I think, you know, he's going to make uh, defenses, you know, commit more people to the tackle on him. But that wasn't exactly coming to fruition, uh, you know, on, on Saturday night. night. Uh, meanwhile, Nola, they have former player and assistant Kane Thompson stepping into the uh, into into that coaching stop, uh, spot. But unfortunately, I saw a bit of regression here. Uh, last year, I thought Nola did really well operating in, you know, with three to four phase drives in their opponent's territory to come away with some kind of points more often than not. Against the Free Jacks, though, too many penalties, too many, too, too many handling errors, 14 total on the day in both those categories. It just stalled them out uh, a lot in, when they, whenever they were in scoring position. Uh, you know, when you, score, when you score 13 points and you control more than 60% of the total game possession, that's not going to be good enough uh, you know, in this Eastern Conference, and it's certainly not going to be good enough in the Western Conference uh, when you go up against teams like L.A., San Diego, and Utah, you know, who can beat you physically. Um, and they're like, who are going to have much, you know just as good just as good as defenses as New England is, is bringing to the table. Um, so I'm definitely concerned about New England's ability to create plays, uh, you know, from the middle of the field and create those create plays consistently. 
but um, you know, but especially with guys like uh, Bellicana being added to the mix, I'm hopeful that you know once uh, once they build up a little bit more chemistry, it's going to become a little bit more fluid. Uh, as for Nola, you know, Craig, I I totally agree with you. There there wasn't a whole lot of rhyme or reason to their attack, <clears throat> or at least you know not one that was completely uh, you know visible or recognizable. Uh, but they still have the pieces. I, th- I, you know, hopefully if Meyer comes back healthy, I think Cam Dolan is still an absolute stud. Uh, you know, but it, it all comes down to how well they're going to respond to this. I don't want to say new system because Kane Thompson was on the coaching staff. Um, you know, with with Coach Osborne, so I don't think it's you know, you know, changing up the chemistry. Um, you know, and uh, you know, on a large basis. But you know, obviously there is going to be a little bit of of disconnect in terms of the language, in terms of the preparation, in terms of the game planning, that's going to take some time getting used to. Last game of the weekend, Sunday night. Craig, I know you didn't enjoy this one. It kicked off too late. (laughs) 10 p.m. Eastern. 7 p.m. here in L.A. I watched it. uh, I didn't watch it live. (laughs) I'm going to lie. Fair enough. I I mean, I thought it was an interesting game. This is, I, I think, maybe I get the most question marks to me coming out of this game because so just one, just to be clear for, before before you get too far into it this is we are talking Seattle and Toronto Seattle beat Toronto uh 21 to 8 um all the action was in the first half um versus all the other games it was relatively quiet second half but Craig go ahead yeah I thought um I, I thought coming into the year these teams were both a little bit of question mark, so maybe this is my predisposition speaking, but I I always expect Toronto to be good. They're such a legacy franchise. They've, they've always been good in their MLR competition. Um, Seattle, obviously, two-time champion, really, really tough year last year, uh, but re, really retooled. Uh, you know, they, they found a, a 10 in Ali Timu, uh, brought, brought ISF on. Yeah, they, so they've done that. They've retooled a significant amount in Seattle, so a, a lot uh, of question marks coming to this game, and clearly, as you saw from the score, Seattle mostly controlled it uh, the whole time. But I'm actually, I- I'm still feeling unclear about these two teams because I think, unlike, let's say, for example, um, New England, we just talked about, I thought their their shape and defense was so disciplined, and I think a lot of these teams, at least for half, <laughs> I mean, Houston, I thought was so disciplined and so. Uh, you know, rigorous and controlled what they were doing. Austin was was very disciplined. I thought Seattle, even though they won, they played to me very loose. I mean, the whole game to me was very loose uh, on both sides. You know, Toronto would have, in my view, people rushing up out of the defensive line with no chance of making a tackle, leaving huge holes. Seattle would attack through those holes. And they would not, not really form any sort of shape or follow that up in, in any coherent way. It was, it was like a very uh, – I think both teams lacked cohesion. Uh, so it was a lot of individual effort, in my view. Uh, and I think Seattle looked like they had the better individuals, so they won. Uh, and Hadding played great. Ben Landry at, at flanker I thought played very well. Alatimu continues to play well. Um so I mean I, I like there's I like the personnel they've brought into Seattle. I think they have good chemistry. I think they have a lot of talent there. I think they could do very well. Um, but I want to see more team shape and structure out of them, even though they won by a good amount against who I think will probably end up being a good team. 
Uh, I don't think that, that, for example, if Seattle had played New England, they would have scored any points. I just I think they were too disorganized in what they were doing. Oof. No points. Okay, then. Well, I, I, this might sound a little bit opposite, but I thought this was like one of my favorite games in terms of on-the-field play. Um, I like, you know, I like it as much as like all rugby fans, I'm sure, do. Uh, when you see some successful and you know fluid open field passing, which I thought both these teams were able to do pretty well in spurts, at least this is what I saw. Um, you know, you saw Duncan Matthews get a try off some well executed uh, tight window passing as well after the forwards did their job in the mall. Um, speaking of forwards, record hatting is right back to bullying guys with the ball in his hands, not just on defense, which always makes for entertaining rugby. Um, not the biggest Seattle fan, um, but. In terms of record hatting, and of course, Darrell Williams, love him. Uh, but I don't think the score is going to be very indicative of Toronto's season to come. Uh, you know, like, like you said, Craig, I think they are going to be, you know, a decent, if not middle of the pack team for this season. I thought guys like Mitch Richardson, Will Kelly, they looked great on the outside. Uh, you know, Quatrain and Kyle Bailey are two of my favorite forwards in the MLR. I thought they played well. Uh, meanwhile, they, ed- they actually edged out Seattle. Um, you know, in the lineout and split with them on the total possession rate in the first half. Unfortunately, uh, the, the possession figure for Toronto dropped to just 34% in the second half, which was, you know, how Seattle was sort of able to control the game and close it out. Um, but still, I, I didn't think it was, you know, as disorganized a game as you, as you might have observed. Um, you are a little bit more technically sound um, in, in terms of scheme than, than I am, but I know I, I I genuinely enjoyed watching this game though. I, you know I I feel like this, you know the the score might have, might not have been popping off on the, uh you know up there on the board, but I thought there was some really good rugby in between the lines. Yeah, I mean don't get me wrong, that was very entertaining to watch. I mean that's kind of a you know it's a two edged sword I suppose, but when you're you know when when teams are creating opportunities because they're not playing in my view, you know. Cohesively, you end up with some exciting plays because now there's opportunities to exploit. And I think both both sides got a chance to exploit some opportunities. I just, as I think about them playing other sides in the future, I wonder: Are you going to be able to have that success? We'll, we'll basically, really, what I'm saying is, will Seattle's attack have the same success against a defense that operates more as a unit and less as individual people? You know, trying to make big plays. And I, I. I guess we'll see. We'll see. But uh, I thought, I thought, in some ways, Toronto made it too easy on them this week. Fair enough. Uh, you know, it made it too easy is something I can agree with, but still entertaining. Couple, couple observations for me. Um, first from Seattle, um, Dewald Donald is a big ass prop. You know, you <laughs> see him on the field, and you're like, holy shit! That's a human being. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, you know, Martin Iosefo, um Coming over from sevens, had an okay game. Um, if, if you didn't watch it or want to listen to it, um, Liam did an interview with Martin. Um, you can find it on our Facebook page. Great interview, Liam. Um, you. If you got find it on our Facebook page, y'all want to listen to it. Um, Dan Creel made an, an excellent impact, and so did Duncan Matthews. Um, you know, two guys who jumped over from South Africa, as I mentioned in Houston. If you want to win, bring over South Africans. Um, you know, I've they, met like three guys named Duncan from South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I guess it's just like a—is it John over there, basically? Or I don't know. They—they they had big impact, and then for Toronto. Um, speaking of large props, uh, Lolani Fala. I've I, another pronunciation that will, I'll get wrong and try to fix. 
he is a six foot four prop. I he walked into the line out and I'm like, why are they putting a back row at the for, at the prop position? <laughs> so another large human being. Um, what do you think it's like for a hooker when you just have like a disproportionately large prop? You know, I mean, I guess like you know, as long as you're wrapping around the waist, you know, it probably doesn't make that much of a difference. But you got to feel like you know that difference in just torque and pull on one side of you. Yeah. Well, I I, I, I always stuff. You also I always can't wonder props are too tall. <laughs> I always wonder when the the locks are different sizes. Like you have one that's like six eight and one that's like six five, and how much of a difference does that make? A um, couple other things from Toronto for me. Um, you mentioned Kyle Bailey. He moved uh, north of the border this year. Um, actually, Toronto also has a new coach. I don't think we mentioned that. Um, not sure how much of an impact that played. And then one uh, thing I noticed from the threads on the Major League Rugby Reddit site, a lot of Toronto fans disagree with you on Will Kelly. They thought he was the weak point of the team. So that was that was an interesting thing to point out. All right, quick, quick thoughts on the the head coaches. I know we the new head coaches. At least I know you guys had a little bit. Which one, if you had to pick one, which one would you want? Just based on one game result, which one would you want to lead your team? I know it's kind of a bullshit question, but uh, I mean, I'm, I mean, the guy that I'm going to pick is already leading my team. Um, I think I, I I would go as uh, Scott Matthew. I think I, I agree with Craig that I thought the team looked a lot more organized on the field, um, despite you know the 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 lack of offensive firepower um, you know that I was really hoping for. Uh, I think they've built a a good platform on which to improve and on which to get faster, get a little bit more uh, you know aggressive on the attack, and you know perhaps set guys up, you know, guys like, like, like Waka, like Mitch Wilson, like Fife, like uh, Bellicana up, you know, for, for more success. Um, and also uh, the, the new England front office is just one of the most stable front offices in the league right now. Um, and so I would, I, I think any coach coming into that, into that office, you know, under Magleby um, and, and, uh, and all the people working there in new England, um, they're, they're set up for success. So I would definitely go with Matthew on this one. Yep, me too. I encourage anyone who's interested in this sort of thing, go go watch the replay of that game on the Rugby Network. And just anytime New England's defending, just pause it and look at the spacing. And it's like they're metronomically perfectly spaced. They don't bunch on the ball. Yeah, I thought it was, thought it was such an impressive uh, display. I mean, it, you know, I think, you know, like New Orleans scored one try on one, like the first time they failed to do that. So it's not, not literally every time, but. 90% of the time, New England's defense so perfectly spaced. That's how you do it. Well, fair enough. Let's move on to this week. And remember, folks, we have a game tomorrow night. So if you are in the Earful of Dirt Super Brew or any Major League Rugby Super Brew pools, don't forget to get your picks in. So tomorrow night, 1030 Eastern, 730 Pacific on the Rugby Network, Root Sports and KMYU, K- Root Sports in Seattle. KMYU and KSLSports.com in Utah. Um, we have Seattle hosting the Utah Warriors at Starfire. Who do you guys got? Uh, let's see. I, I have to check my Super Brew just to make sure I'm not as hip, hypocrite. <laughs> um, but I'm going to be going with the Utah Warriors by four. I thought the Warriors played a little bit more of a competitive game offensively. Um, 
you know, and obviously they were able to put up more points. And I thought San Diego was a very fast team. They were able to respond well enough, um, you know, but I just don't know how much of a measure of an opponent Toronto is at the moment. So it's kind of hard to say. So um, I'm going to allow the, the Warriors to edge out Seattle. But this kind of uh, their, their next game later this season might totally be different. Who knows? Yeah, it's a tough one to start the week. I mean, playing 10, 10 p.m. in Starfire, uh, I think is a, is a big ask for any team to go into to Tequila and play like that. Um, well, it's only going to be seven thirty at Starfire. Well, yeah, I'll be starting there. What's the Utah's time zone? Is what one hour? Their mountain time zone is yeah. So it's it's eight, it's eight thirty their time. Yeah. Still, I think it'll be. I guess my point more being like it'll be an energetic Seattle crowd, you know, for a night game. Uh, you know, probably a few drinks in. Uh, I was going to say more time to pregame, baby. Yeah, uh, and it's a short, a short turnaround for both teams. Uh, I am going to say, I'm going to say Seattle by one. Fair enough. Um. I think I agree with you, Craig, on Seattle being a little disjointed, and I, and I liked the the attack of Utah, especially in the second half against San Diego. I'm gonna go Utah by three. Um, I, I do think that talent will from Seattle will show up, but I do think the overall cohesiveness that we saw from San Diego in the second half will shine through more. Um, all right, and then our second game on Friday night, another 10 p.m. Eastern game. <laughs> At least this one's Friday night. You don't have to wake up and go to work the next morning. Um, Canada's team, for the moment, the Toronto Arrows, are playing in British Columbia at Langford at Starlight Stadium. Um, they're hosting the LA Guiltinis. It is on the Rugby Network and TSN. It is on TSN if you are in Canada. Um, Craig, who do you got? Guiltini by 21. Revenge revenge game for their loss. Plus, I, everyone's always under, undersells these blowouts. I'm always on the Super Bowl, like 12, 15, and I'm like, fuck, it's a 35-point game. I had no <laughs> margin point. So, twenty Guiltini's by 21. Yeah, I, I'm going to go um, – I have slightly more faith in the Toronto Arrows than Craig, I guess. I'm going to go Guiltini's by 14. Uh, for <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I don't – I don't see Toronto pulling this one out. I think uh, LA is going to get right after that uh, upset versus Houston last week. Um, just to round out the pattern, um, and based on um, we mentioned Toronto's unevenness, um, LA m- may be missing some key pieces. I'll go LA by seven just to keep the pattern. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next matchup. Uh, at everyone's favorite stadium, the San Diego State Sports Deck, on Saturday, February 2nd, at an actually decent time, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, on the Rugby Network, we have the San Diego Legion hosting the Dallas Jackals. Liam? Uh, I'm going to be going San Diego by 14. Um, you know, again, I might be underselling this blowout, or I, this might be the Dallas's first big upset of the season, uh, which I semi-predicted <laughs> during our recap. But, uh, yeah, I, I like the speed on, on San Diego, and I, I, I don't believe in Dallas's fitness right now, especially after that, can't even say second-half performance, like final three-quarters of the game performance uh, they had against Austin. 
Yeah. I'll take the Legion by 30. Jesus, man. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll jump in. Super this week. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll go San Diego by 25. I don't. We didn't see much from Dallas. Craig mentioned them just walking backwards in the scrum, and in San Diego just can be vicious at times. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump that high. Here's the thing. Uh, I, I want to see how confident you guys are not making these picks on Super Brew, but making them on like Caesar Sportsbook or something. <laughs> I would be so happy if Caesar Sportsbook had MLR lines. That would be dope. That would be dope. The, so, hey, you know what was funny is um, before Seattle and Toronto kicked off on Sunday, the Toronto Arrows actually posted the lines for the Seattle-Toronto game because Coolbet is their sponsor. Like they had the lines and the spread and everything. It was pretty cool. <laughs> what was what was the line? What was the spread? Uh, let's move on. I will search and get back to you. <laughs> ah, how do you like the quizzes, Josh? You're right. It sucks. <laughs> All right. Next game of the weekend. The because we have an uneven number of teams. We have 13 teams in the league. Everyone, one team will have a bye a week. Last week it was New York. Now they're having their first game, first match of the year, Saturday, February 12th, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, 7 p.m. Central. Houston is hosting Rugby, excuse me, Rugby New York. Um, the website they're no still, longer united. The they are divided. They're totally divided. On, uh, the Major League Rugby website still has them listed as, as Rugby United New York because I got confused for a minute. Um it is on the Rugby Network or AT&T Sportsnet in the Houston area. Liam, go. Uh, I'm going to go Houston by three because, uh, you know, one, I, I was inspired by the, by the South African performance, uh, almost in like a cool runnings sort of way. Um, also, F New York, dude. Yeah, no, you're going down. <laughs> Tough to argue with that. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go I'm gonna go Houston by five. Uh Thing. You know, again, New York hasn't even had their one their week one fake preseason actually regular season game to to leverage. Uh, though I, it, I think it'll be, it will be interesting to see Sam Warburton return to Sam Warburton, Sam Windsor return to uh, Houston now in the New York colors as opposed to SaberCat colors. Uh, but uh, I mean, you know. What have we seen from New York this offseason? Nothing yet. Nothing, nothing to go on. Houston are the Saber Kings, so I'll give them another. Uh, I'll give them another week on the throne. I'll take New York. I'll take them by five. Um, we saw them. I think they had similar the similar scenario last year, and they didn't get much preseason in, and then just we jumped into everything, and they had that continuity, um, even though they lost the coach before the year. Um, Marty Veal is still the coach. He's still there. I'll I'll take uh, New York by five. And then going back to the, the Toronto thing, um, Seattle was minus 244 favorites. Toronto was plus 210. The spread was six and a half points in favor of Seattle, and the over-under was set at 50 and a half points. Hmm. 50 and a half. Dang. All right. Next game of the week. Unfor- unfortunately for this week, we have three games all occurring around the same time on Saturday. Um, the second of them is the Nola Gold hosting Rugby ATL at the Gold Come on, Mine. MLR Red Zone. MLR <laughs> Red Zone, baby. At the Gold Mine, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. 
on the rugby network. We saw we saw Nola, you know, kind of disappear against New England. We saw rugby ATL just outright outwork Old Glory in the second half. Um, I'm gonna take ATL by twenty. Craig. Oh wow. Uh, I'm gonna go uh, ATL by seven. Uh, not not as confident as you there, Josh. Josh stealing my strategy of going big on the margins. I see you. <laughs> I see you. Uh, um, I'm gonna go ATL by twelve. Okay. ATL Nola always a good rivalry. I think the the intensity of that you know Southern matchup will keep it close. Uh, you know, keep it close throughout grudge match. All right, and then last game of the weekend at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports 1, our national game of the week at Bold Stadium. We have the AGs, Austin, hosting Old Glory, D.C. I am going to go Austin by 12 in this one. I think, uh, you know, they'll be able to handle an 80-minute game better than uh, OGDC uh, was able to versus Atlanta last week. I like the uh, I like the karma of Old Glory playing at a place called Circuit of the Americas, uh, <laughs> but uh, not enough to pick them. So uh, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say Austin by twelve. I'm looking forward to that first Austin. Yeah, assuming nobody falls off the rails, I'm looking forward to that first Austin Houston matchup of this year. It looks like it could be a, a powerhouse Texas brawl. Uh, though again, not to completely go off subject, but. Uh, I thought this was an interesting thing I realized when I was researching my column this week. Did you guys realize that Houston have won every single season opener except 2018? Oh, wow. Wow. So despite several years of underperformance, they have not underperformed week one. So we'll see if they could uh, keep it going a little longer this year. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with y'all. I think Austin will run away with it. Um, I'll go Austin minus 15. Um and then just a side note, I don't think any of us remember it, but this just popped into my head. This is technically a trophy game. It is for the Qu- Cuisine Solutions Cup. Um, yes, I love it. I do vaguely remember that from last year. <laughs> love it. Yeah. I don't remember the reasoning behind it, and it's a silly-ass name, but I love it anyway. So Cuisine Solutions, at the I don't remember if they are now, but they still are a sponsor, but they were the major sponsor when they first started. Um, they were the title sponsor. They had their logo on Old Glory's uniforms. Um, I believe they also sponsored Austin in some capacity, and that's why it was set I, I up. I thought it was like they're sponsored Old Glory, but the food is really popular in Austin or something. It could so they be. They in Austin, but they sponsor. It was some weird, <laughs> I thought, if I recall, some weird asymmetrical relationship. Who knows how they do with South of the Mason Dixon? Well, hey, it's it's not in, any crazier than the random trophy between LA and New York. There's a That's trophy the between trophy. LA and New York. The Champagne Bowl, right? It was, it was, it was something Cup. like that. It was something it was, ridiculous. I feel like, like I feel like the Texas Cup is the only championship that's really recognized by fans across the league, and it's not even a real thing yet. Like it's not. Well, I, there's also the Fire and Ice Trophy between ATL and Toronto. True. Which, what uh, do you think about the origins? Look how excited, we didn't even talk about Six Nations. Look how excited <laughs> Scotland is for attaining the Calcutta Cup for two years in a row, first time in 40 years. 
Does that mean does that mean anything on the Calcutta Cup? You make a cup, things become cool like twenty years later when you're still playing about it. I thought it was I just thought it was cool that England lost. You know, I just that that was my favorite part of the whole week. Hey, Italy Italy ruined my parlay. <laughs> they did. I had so I had um, You went Italy over France? No. Oh. I had so I had Wales no no, I had Ireland taking the spread against Wales, which they won. I had Scotland beating England straight up, which was technically an upset. And then the spread on the France-Ireland game was 35 and a half points. I took France in the 35 and a half points, and that's what I lost. And, and a bunch of people were joking that um, France scored more points against New Zealand when they upset them this past year. And so everyone was saying that makes Italy better than New Zealand. <laughs> or Yeah. <laughs> That's so, just science. Just yeah. science. It, it right. works that way every single time. So we only have one question this week, but I will add one of my own. Um, do I don't know if any of you have heard. I know I asked it last week to John. You guys heard anything about Utah Stadium? I, I think it's still in the discussion stages as far as I know. Yeah, no. I, uh, the, the, the one person that – told me anything about it just said there's hang-ups um in terms of um in, like in, ter- in terms of paying like permits and like who's going to pay the permits um was, was how they, de- they described it to me don't know any other specifics or what that means beyond that and then um actually so this was from life love uh, life love rugby i always have it's always a tongue twister for me um the second part of their question who do you think will be the next team to build their own stadium like Houston? Um, New England. I, New England, really? Ooh. Yeah. No. Satellite inside info. <laughs> but. Honestly, I'd say ATL just based on, you know, life got flooded. They might take over Silverbacks Park and make it their own. I actually enjoyed that um, that little over Overwatch area on the right side of the camera. That was I thought that would be a pretty good area to watch the game from. Yeah, um, I'm I'd say – uh, uh, sorry to interrupt you, Craig, but I, I would say keep an eye on the town of Malden, Massachusetts. Well, I don't have any inside information, but I was just going to guess uh, – I actually was going to guess Austin because we know we have a deep-pocketed ownership group there, and it uh, seems like Gilchrist is the type of guy who enjoy a, a Gilchrist Stadium, and Austin is the type of city that you can imagine there being the land to build a stadium somewhere you know, not too far from the city center. Don't uh, don't give him any ideas, Craig. Uh, what? Don't give him any ideas because you know he'll do it. He'll name it, he'll yeah. name it after himself too. The Gilrena. <laughs> She's gonna hear you because that's almost <laughs> a good idea, but not really. Yeah. So that that. That would have been my guess, though. Again, that, that's just speculation. Sounds like, sounds like somebody might have uh, some inside info. So I'll, I'll probably take a backseat to that one. Yeah, don't don't overestimate it. But you know, <laughs> you, know you you bring up Boston and New Stadium. My first thought goes to the LA's playing in the Coliseum. Why doesn't Texas just go play in the Longhorn Stadium? <laughs> yeah, I probably UT would probably won't be caught dead allowing those guys to play on their stadium. All right, I, I have. I know I said I have one question. I actually have two. Well, I'll try to make it quick. Um, there's a stadium in Paris that is indoors. Will that ever happen in MLR? If we play a game at Jerry World, maybe. 
Like, no, like I'm being serious. Like we've already played the game at SoFi, you know, Dallas, you know, the, the Jackals, you know, are, are there in Dallas. Although isn't Jerry world in like Arlington or some bullshit. I'm, yeah. It's yeah. to the West. It's to the West of Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, the only thing about rugby is like the whole kicking thing, you know, there's, there's, you know, like, uh, like, like New England was practicing inside of a bubble, um, you know, at one point, I'm, I'm pretty sure they still do practice inside of a bubble down in Weymouth, but, um, you know, you can't exactly have high kicks throughout a game, uh, you know, consistently, you know, without perhaps, uh, you know, interfering in, in the fair process of it all. So we need to get, you know, domed, you know, domed stadiums that are actually high enough to have that, you know, aspect to the game to it where they're not going to, where a ball's not going to get literally stuck in rafters. I mean, do, do rugby balls get kicked higher than NFL footballs? I mean, I mean, think about like, like, like you know, like a po- like a powerful box kick probably goes a little bit higher, you know, like than your average NFL kickoff. Because like you know, yeah, think about like, on, 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 an, on, on on an NFL kickoff, you're trying to get it, you know, distance, you know, which you know you would think physics wise, you want to like have it lower to the ground so that you don't you know lose uh, velocity going up, but. Yeah, they also got a running start in NFL kickoff, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't see why not. I I don't know about. Yeah, I have no idea really. I guess, but I'd be surprised. I suppose if it was not feasible to have a roof stadium, it's just right now we're just talking about who's building stadiums. Most teams don't have the financial resources to build their own stadium, so build them on the roof. We can add exponential cost to that, even so, you know, we'll see. Maybe right. hopefully one day we get there where teams can afford that. Yeah, then, build, build stadiums on the roof, invite Mod Flanders. All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last question: We had TMO in all games for the first time. What are your What were your quick thoughts on that? I, I thought it went well. Uh, I, I thought it went well too, just to have the option. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't Rugby World Cup quality. It's not getting you know in between the bum cheeks of a prop, you know, close, but it's, it's, it's good. It's for, for what we need. It's good. Yeah. I, I think it's definitely good to have it. Was it just me though? Or it seemed like we, as the audience couldn't see what the TMO was seeing and the referee on the field couldn't see what the TMO was seeing. Like usually it seems like, you know, they, in Six Nations, for example, they call for the TMO and the on-field referees looking up at a screen and the TMO is talking and they're seeing the same thing and they're discussing what they're seeing. In our case, it seemed like, again, maybe it's just the way the cameras were, or maybe I didn't notice, but from what I could see, the referee was calling for the TMO and then just sitting there and waiting for the TMO to tell them what happened. But uh, so in- like the TMO was looking at something that no one else could see and then just giving a judgment to the referee. But in those instances, Craig, where the, the ref is looking up at the big screen, are they actually, like, you know, doing anything or are they just watching it, like, you know, while they're waiting for a word from the TMO? Because, like, I, I feel like once it goes to the TMO, it's, you know, the, the, the TMO's decision in relation to the on-field call, you know, is like, like is, so. is, is, is Nigel Owens really doing anything more to his job by looking up at the screen after he's already called for TMO? Well, it's like usually, I guess – when you watch like World Cup or Six Nations, there, there, it's more of a discussion between the TMO and the on-field ref. Like they're saying, "Oh, is this what you're seeing? You're seeing this movie?" Say, like, "Well, I saw this hand here. Can you look at that there?" And they kind of, they kind of come to a consensus decision. I would say, 
But I, I think I could be wrong. But I think the final say would be the on-field ref, even in the even in a TMO case overseas. In this case, it seemed like a TMO was just giving a, a ruling down to the ref, which I, I'm fine with. I mean, I think that's better than not having a TMO. Um, though I, I think all, you know, I like the consensus approach that they do uh, in Europe and and elsewhere. So yeah, let's keep let's keep moving the ball in that direction. I, it's a good progress. Uh, though I yeah, I still prefer I guess the if I'm even perceiving this right. This is just me watching it on TV. That's how it, at least how it seemed to me. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that is you know some stadiums just don't have the screens. So I think that the next best solution in my eyes would probably be you know going to the soccer VAR having that screen by the by the by the the fourth referee kind of situation would probably be the next best best thing. All right. Yeah. Any last little night? hoodies like NFL when they do the read? Yeah, they go under the little booth. Right? <laughs> I was just going to say from like we, 10 years ago when they would go under the hood. We get the chips and the dip too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any last minute comments? Someone at Buffalo Wild Wings tells them what happened. <laughs> um, is pineapple on pizza actually gross or did the internet just tell us to hate it? Internet told us to hate it. Yeah. No, it's I, gross. I, no, dude. I, I – I was of that opinion for so long and I, I eventually caved like a few weeks ago and I'm like, shit, why have I not been doing this? You, you, you can't do the normal Hawaiian pizza. You got to do pepperoni, pineapple and jalapenos. Yeah. There we go. I'm a, Uh, I'm a New Yorker, AKA a pizza snob. So I'll stick to my cheese and pepperoni for you. Right. Pie. Yeah. I love, love, love a pepperoni. I like Buffalo chicken slices. Uh, those are delicious. Yeah. Take it from a Bostonian pizza fan. Uh, grease does not equal flavor. So <laughs> word to the wise over there in New York. Regina's right. all the way. That's just jealousy talking. How many people are the, whose favorite pizza is Boston-style pizza? I've never heard of that. <laughs> but, well, thank you for listening, everyone. That is our show for the week. Remember, you can find Liam at Poacher Rugby and Craig at MM Fly Half and myself at Josh Fred Elite Speak on Twitter. You can find Ear Full of Dirt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ear Full of Dirt. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Ear Full of Dirt. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ear Full of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com. Or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com.